My name is William Corliss and this is the Workplace Podcast. Brought to you in association with Yellowwood, providers of executive coaching, corporate training and facilitation. Your external learning and development partner. Each week we focus on a different aspect of the workplace. We hear from guest speakers who will be subject matter experts, who I believe are incredibly talented at what they do. These experts will give you a different perspective and insight to work life, with the aim of empowering you to take a different path to success in all aspects of work life. These perspectives will include career and personal success, leadership, high performance teams, and creating a better work life culture in your organization. Yellowwood, take a different path to success with your career, team, and organization. Welcome to the Workplace Podcast. Our topic today is emotional intelligence, leading comfortably with uncertainty. Our guest today is Alan Lyons. Alan is a leading business psychologist, senior IMI associate and a partner at Kinch Lyons, where psychology means business. A leading global supplier of innovative scientific assessments that stretch individuals, teams and their organizations. Alan, welcome to the Workplace Podcast. William, what a place to be. Thank you so much. What an intro. I tell you, William, it's your podcast is one of the successes of this COVID-19. You're, you're, you've become like the nation's workplace weather vane, isn't it? It's all people are knocking at your door. So thanks for having me. A bit late, but thanks for having me on. Uh, well, I, oh, what are listen, you, I'm, you know, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And listen, remind me to give you the uh, the, the the envelope full of money for that. I really yeah. appreciate it, Alan. Oh, it's great. And what do you? I know, but joking aside, you've you've come up the charts. What are you at now? You're in the podcast. If I'm very honest, it is a yo-yo effect. Um, so it depends on the number of downloads. It's a daily download. So we have reached number two. We've topped it okay. at that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're consistently in the top twenty, but then it can yo-yo into. I, I go down to the top 40 and back up again. So oh, okay. we're, we're aiming for a consistency. So the more people who download, the better. So thanks yeah, for that. Okay. And what Great. I really like about you, Alan, um, is one is you're very insightful. You're very authentic. And I think what we've both seen each other is that energy that we both yeah. bring that I really, really yeah. enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, William, it's funny that you, you mentioned that and we're talking about emotional intelligence because there is, and the authenticity sharing insight, because most people don't pay attention and notice themselves. There's a huge social pressure and pressure with COVID-19 to actually dumb down our levels of emotional intelligence. Do you know, yeah. like I know emotional intelligence is waning in terms of its uh, popularity, but it couldn't be more useful now. And it's a dumbing down of people even being aware of how they're feeling and what to do about it. And what I mean by dumbing down is we copy others. We, you know, social media, we react on impulse. We repeat the same actions. So we're just going through this thing as if, you know, you know, we're, we're like extras in our own movies. We're just watching something going along. It's as if everybody else is living. And that's all, that's what emotional intelligence looks like when it's been completely dumbed down. So if you think of what you just described, we're describing the opposite. Notice what's working, be yourself. It's not about grief. You see, the thing with positive psychology and emotional intelligence is one of the key components of positive psychology. The thing with positive psychology, a lot of people mistake it, William, for having to be brilliant or having to be, you know, they buy those self-help books and they change their life. And it's about now, you get into January and you go, 
I will look here at the end of January, you go here, I'll go back to being myself. They don't stick. Because it's all yeah. about trying to create a new different, you pretend to be somebody you're not. But when you yeah. just relax and tap in and be yourself more with skill, that's the emotional intelligence bit. That's the energy bit. And that's what you bring. Yeah, so I, I really like that way, the way you framed it. It's be a bit more of yourself with skill. And for the listeners then who mightn't be aware of what emotional intelligence is, what is the best way to describe that maybe in, in layperson's terms? You know, emotional intelligence is, well, I'll give you the business case for it, but describing it is giving yourself, you know, noticing and paying attention to how your emotions are impacting you so you can choose how you respond, you know? So it's actually noticing, pay attention so you can choose how you respond. Now, we, uh, we can step through the science behind it and how to develop that. But in a way, it is the key now to make cultivating your emotional intelligence now would allow you to actually flourish, be yourself more with skill, won't get us out of the situation, but it will change our experience of it. Now, how do you do that? There's a big business, but you know, there's many people, I was only looking at some research by a Red Arrows guy, Justin Hughes, uh, who's done a lot of work in high-performing teams. What attracted me to his work was when he said, well, you know, emotional intelligence is really, from his understanding, it's just the icing on top of the cake. You know, you know, I, I don't want to go up in a fighter jet with somebody, you know, who's just working on emotional intelligence. And I think that's where William gets a bad name or misunderstood. Daniel Goleman released that book, uh, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ. And the people who run around in our space and go, your IQ is not important. It's all about your emotional intelligence. Give us it a bad name. Because actually... Your IQ is fundamental. It's your price of entry. There is nothing unless you can prove that you're competent. But once within the role, it's emotional intelligence. It's how we handle ourselves and how we connect and lead and influence others. So they're not, it's, it shouldn't be separated out as if you have EQ or you have IQ. It's, you're, you're developing your emotions would allow you to leverage the best of your IQ. You know, because we all know the people who've been in university or in school and they've nailed it to get their A students. But somewhere, you know, take it back to your own schooling. Are the people who are best, were best academically in your class now the most successful? Now, how do you measure your success, et cetera? But is it? Or is it the people who are able to connect, bring people with them, be compassionate, listen, make hard? I mean, and it's not about being soft, by the way. Emotional intelligence steps into difficult conversations. You're actually not hiding from your emotions. You know, yeah. like you're not, you're not running away from, you're actually stepping into them. And when they make you feel uncomfortable, you're recognizing, well, why is this making me feel this way? You know, so it's not about ignoring them. It's quite the opposite. It's actually cultivating an awareness of them, but making them work for you. Because your mind, this is interesting, William, because our minds are, are built to wander. Do you yeah. mean they're built to actually just go off in different directions? And the most intelligence, all it's trying to do, it's actually stop the wandering so you can make decisions based on you know, what you want. But that's a cognitive achievement, by the way, that wandering thing, which other animals don't have. Yeah. But actually, in a way, it's an achievement that comes at a cost because yeah. we're so distracted. You know, I think uh, Pedro, uh, uh, William, you know, I think Pedro shared this with us before that it takes, um, when, you're, when, you're, um, when your mind is wandering, 48% of the time your mind is wandering. Now, why 48% of the time? It's only half the time our mind wanders. So why is it doing that? Now, it's doing it, a lot of the time we do it to take ourselves out of the current uh, anxiety that we're feeling. Yeah. So we, our mind, we're in cars, whatever, our mind wanders. 48% of the time. Now, what's interesting, and this is the work of um, Killingsworth, the Harvard psychologist, 
where your mind wanders to 80% of the time, that's actually more stressful than just sitting with what you're experiencing. So where our mind goes wandering to take us out of the anxiety of the current moment, but where it goes to 80% of the time is more stressful. So his, his, his thesis is a wandering mind isn't a happy mind. So the emotionally intelligent mind is about being more mindful. And it's not natural to be mindful. You know, we're not built, you know, our brains are actually uh, not built to be mindful. So it's something yeah. that's really important and probably more because, you know, they'll talk about meditation being the direct route to developing emotional intelligence. That's not the panacea, but it is because you're more aware of your emotions and you're more aware of the impact they're having on you. You know, because if you think about COVID-19, William, it's turbocharged yeah. the internet. It's left us in a leadership world, leaderless world. And we have people who are more engaged now at Amazon.com than they are with the Amazon rainforest. Everybody's so distracted, just going along with the, you know, with the flow, uh, but not actually even having an awareness of, well, it's just what I want. Back to man's search for meaning. Nobody has any idea if actually, you know, taking awareness of what is the contribution I want to make? Why am I here? We're just sleepwalking through life. And that's yeah. one good thing about COVID-19 is that it's, it's made people more aware and more thoughtful about, actually, what do I want? Yeah. yeah. And you know, you talked about emotional uh, intelligence there and how you might explain it. And I think where emotional intelligence for me, if I was to explain it, is what are the emotions that are contributing to my behavior, to my triggers, to my anxiety? And it's becoming more aware of sometimes, well, what are the values that are being, you know, um, overstepped or, you know, being impacted yeah. Uh, yeah. on me? And again, this is where we talk about, you know, um, I suppose leading um, com comfortably with uncertainty then is yes well where does this bring us where is that how do we become more resilient when we are uncertain you know and I think there's a piece here for leaders but also yeah. for followers then is yeah. like yeah you know we need to have that presence as leaders to communicate um in a way that is that mental toughness and that yeah um that presence of mind that we're aware of other people's emotions because if we lead without that presence of mind of knowing where people are at well then you're not going to lead a, a company successfully yeah absolutely and you've nailed william you've nailed a great definition there of noticing your triggers being aware of when something doesn't feel right and, I, and you mentioned your values because you know the way they talk about work-life balance being a work 50 percent of the time it don't work time, which isn't a good definition of work-life balance. It's more, a better definition is, are your values aligned to what you're doing? Do you know, like you could actually, you know, work two hours a week and have a bad work-life balance if your values are misaligned to what you're doing. So once you get your values aligned to what you're doing, well, first of all, you feel like you're not working. You know, and that's why you get the young people doing 100 hours a week and they think, Jesus, terrible work-life balance. They're flying it. There's no emotional or mental strain in them at all because they're doing something which is completely aligned to their values. And that's where the emotional intelligence bit is so important because most people start with training and development around how do you influence somebody? How do you, you know, be more assertive or step into courageous conversations, which is great. But if you haven't started underneath the bonnet, as you're talking about there, your values knowing your values, knowing your triggers, because everybody's are different. And people will give you useful information, but it's based on their values and what works for them. Now, unless, and that's like those self-help books, but unless what's more useful is if you tap into what works for you and slowing down so you notice your values. And even the fact you said there, you start to notice 
your triggers and your emotions and if especially if things are impacting you negatively well you know most people don't notice when they're stressed that's the very nature of it you'll never get somebody who goes um you know when you say to me you're stressed no they only notice afterwards when they have a burnout or it goes too far and they actually feel overwhelmed and realize jesus i was very stressed so even from you there saying you practice it to know your values be mindful and notice when you're feeling a bit of a trigger well that's a sign of emotional intelligence because actually just plowing through and being very unaware of the impact it's having on you, then it you know, overwhelms you eventually. So that's a sign of emotional intelligence. Now, it is helpful to be aware of when you're being made feel a bit awkward. However, what's also, but you don't really have to pay attention to feeling awkward because your brain will keep telling you. It's hardwired to notice problems. What you do need to pay attention to, though, is the positive emotions. Yes. When do I feel okay? You know, and that's and if Martin Seligman, the father of positive psychology, came up with the idea of the appreciation journal. So just like you've been aware of your triggers when something feels a bit off and it's misaligned to your values, equally it's useful to actually keep an appreciation journal where each evening jot down the opposite of that. What went well today that I would like to see continue? Because your brain will notice and focus on what you tell it to do. And having a you know a writing or a journal habit, you're actually starting your brain will start to notice other things are going well. But if you predominantly keep going, have no awareness, your brain will just keep giving you more feedback, more feedback about you have to keep going faster on what you're not doing well, you know, which is less useful for you. You know, and there'll always be something else that you're not doing well. We don't know. In our world, William, we're always trying to help people get better. But as you know, people are very bad at noticing uh, any progress. Because even when you, you know, if you're coaching somebody, they'll give you goals and you'll complete that contract with them. But then you bump into them a year later. You go, how's everything going? I go, Jesus, terrible. But when you go back to the original contract and what they wanted, they go, oh no, I've got all that. You know, it's on, we're always going to the next thing. But that's the lack of the awareness of, well, what, you know, let's make sure that you actually leverage off what's going well. And your brain loves it. You know, it's like oxygen for the brain. And we had a previous podcast uh, that I I just recorded with Andrew McLaughlin, and he was talking about that, how we're naturally hedonistic, we're we're pleasure-seeking because we get those dopamine hits. And, you know, there's a little bit here when you talk about resilience that we talk about that elasticity, you know, in terms of, well, what does resilience mean is, is how do we get back to ourselves when we've been stretched or bent out of shape? Yeah. And for me, then journaling like that, yeah. does give you that clarity in terms of okay well here's what was going on here's what went well and also it gives when i journal you know and, and i was talking to you before this about my experience of being overwhelmed and, and reading reaching burnout that i found journaling just gave me that clarity to say actually you know what my boundaries i didn't have enough boundaries in place or my yeah. values were being negatively uh, impacted there or i felt taken advantage of or whatever yeah. that was going on yeah. for me yeah. and i think it's about that then that we can be more ourselves but just with skill and i think That's i really it. like that that piece yeah. and then i'm qualified in the instrument that you know your psychometric um mm. report in terms of emotional intelligence and there's many different factors then yeah. as part of that isn't it that can give yeah. us insight to say okay well is it emotional regulation or yeah. is it the way yeah. i make decisions or whatever so can you tell us a little bit yeah, about absolutely. that in terms yeah. of how and just uh william just to speak to what you're talking to there as well about the journaling is that you know what's important now and we're seeing it in psychology because what we do as psychologists as coaches is we create psychological distance for people 
Yeah. Like we give him space between, and that's why I think Jesus is amazing. I never thought of that. And it's not amazing. Well, it is amazing, but they're thinking about it. We're not doing anything amazing. We're just giving them a space to hold. But the problem nowadays is nobody has any psychological distance because we're all going through the same thing together. So yeah. that creates even more importance for what we're talking about. Now, there's many frames with emotional intelligence. And um, even here's the interesting thing. Even discussing emotional intelligence makes you more emotionally intelligent. So if yeah. I'm discussing with you with your coach, you kind of go, that doesn't make any sense. But it actually does because I'm becoming more aware. Because I was even picturing William there, you scribing it, each keeping your journal, getting clarity of thought. But I'm becoming more aware. I instantly started thinking about the impact of my journaling has on me. Or what it makes me feel. So even discussing this area makes you become more aware. And we, as Carl Rogers says, change happens where the awareness is. Now, the framework of having a psychometric, that's the science behind it. It's useful in terms of the conversation it allows us to have. I work in psychometrics. I'm a psychologist. But I'm more interested in it in a way of being allowed us to have a conversation. There's even evidence to show by taking an emotional intelligence assessment, scientifically validated one, you're becoming more aware. Because even by answering the questions, that's an intervention. And then it's the feedback session where it's really powerful rather than the data insights within itself. So the one we look at is the EQI2, originated from Ruvon Baron, the Israeli-American psychologist, who in the early 80s was actually looking at items that measured attention deficit disorder. Right. Um, and then he actually went, Jesus, you know what? Never in psychology have we looked for items for well-being. It's all just items for negative emotions. You know, what's going wrong in their lives? And that led to a big shift and going, well, how would you measure that? And emotion tells us came out of that. Daniel Goleman popularized it. And then the EQI, two will be considered the scientifically most validated measurement of a, uh, uh, emotion intelligence. But really, it's the, it's the best one for coaching and training. That's why we used it. I so I, I use it myself, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, it's a, and again, like we're all psychometrics, when they get a bad name, it's because they're used maybe just as a piece of data. But yeah. we have to engage people around that. It's a bit like Corn Ferry and McKinsey and all these, but they, they're mad with their data and their insights. But they kind of throw a lot of data at people, but they don't tell you what to do about it. We're there engaging people around that data and insights. So we're, you know, making a value, uh, making a difference by doing that. So I really think that's uh, for coaches and people in our space, we're making a phenomenal difference with what the, coming out of that data. Now in the emotion intelligence, the, there's five areas. There's self-perception, knowing yourself, uh, there's self-expression, that's the ability to communicate that. And then it moves into the interpersonal relationships, which is more obvious, um, as in how to develop. Then decision-making, and not so much your aptitude for decision-making, but how you manage your emotions during the decision-making process. And then lastly, stress management. So there are four, uh, sorry, five areas. And, you know, when we step through them together now, they don't live on their own. All of them interact with each other. It's a bit like a spider's web. Wherever you focus on emotional intelligence, it doesn't really matter because the rest of it will start to come up. So you might give me feedback, Alan, you need to be better at networking. And I might think, geez, I have to develop my interpersonal relationship skills. But it could actually be my self-regard. It could be my self-perception and myself that I've worked on that. It would make me better with people. So we always try and look at you know, how the whole thing interacts with each other. So if we look at self-perception. That's all about, you know, uh, I suppose in, in this time of year, notice how it be, be, be the new year, the new year, uh, the new you. You know, you be your 2.0. All of that stuff is atrocious and it puts us under even more pressure to, you know, really you should be just looking at what went well last year. 
that I could maybe tip into a bit of next year and make it for a little bit of difference rather than it all has to be new goals because they don't work. It's too much stress and it just adds to that further insight of how I'm a failure when you don't reach it. So you're much more like with the self-perception, look at the new year. Don't worry about the new year, new year. Tap into what, what did you chip away at last year that you'd like to do more of this year? And what was really great about this is it's been seen everywhere. There's been a huge increase in people taking up um, non-gym activities and stress reduction activities and uh, to handle anxiety which is great so as a nation as the world people are more like to meditate run swim you've seen it all now what's really interesting about that data is though that these people aren't taking up these uh, activities as new activities there are things they've done in the past or there are things that they kind of chipped away at but the pandemic has allowed them to actually make it a habit and they've seen the benefits of them you know as kids we kind of you know knew what we should be doing and then the minute we get, you know, out of university into a job, we work for a job with a purpose, but we forget about, well, what's my purpose? Now, your organization will run around doing the why behind the what, the sign, the cynic stuff, and which is great, and it should be doing that the purpose. But we individually need to be spending as much time on ourselves because nobody could tell you what makes you feel good. Uh, you know, I can give you a purpose, but that's kind of not going to be very helpful for you. But a lot of people don't. They just sleepwalk. They work to the company's purpose, and they have no idea what they're doing. So really what this is about become more aware. What is your motive? Joe, you know, like in, I was reading some research from Jim Collins, good to great, built to last, but it's, uh, well, I was just going over it again. And what was interesting was after the Vietnam War, for instance, uh, the Americans had never had more success in a war than in Vietnam in terms of, now I don't know how to measure all this, in terms of on battlefield uh, attacks and wins, whatever it was, but they'd never had more success than in any war ever since then in Vietnam. But they retreated, they lost, they pulled out. And when the American commander was uh, shaking hands with the, the North Vietnamese, the American guy kind of quipped away, do you know what? We never lost a battle here, you know. And the Vietnamese commander rightly said, well, did it make a difference? And when they're analyzing it, what was going on there was motive was the problem. The North Vietnamese knew clearly what their motive was. They were driven by their purpose. Where the Americans admitted, they said afterwards, 70% of the, the senior leaders in the army afterwards weren't quite sure if their strategy or their purpose or their motivation or their tactics. So you can imagine, you've got the best army in the world, but if you don't have a strong motive, and think, and even he was even making examples of the countries like Israel. Why are the Israelis so strong? When they set up now, uh, before the might of America, they're actually, it was quite a poor country and people didn't have access to lots of resources, but they had a strong motive, that connection with that deal they've done with God, the contract, you know, but it's about motive. Well, what's your motive? I mean, and people complicate this. They all go, to the why behind the what? I often think if, if you have to start looking at the why behind the what, that's telling you something. Now, not in the company, but for myself, the Simon Sinek stuff, the why behind the what? Because as a kid, as kids, we instinctively knew what we should be doing. But then we stopped, like, why am I a psychologist? Because it's, it's good work, I enjoy doing it, it makes a difference in people's lives, and it can be tricky. So it's challenging and enjoyable. You know, but you have to look for your emotions. And if you, you know, I, what is it that makes you, and Bill, uh, Bruce Springsteen, I love, in his autobiography, because most people write autobiographies, and they kind of ghostwrite and they look back and wasn't I amazing that, you know, it all just went according to plan. And it's, we don't learn much from them because they're rewriting history and it's not how it happened. But nice about Bruce, he talks about his depression, his self-doubt, imposter syndrome in our world, not liking his voice, not feeling we could. But then he gets into the whole growth fixed mindset bit. And yeah. what I like about that is, it, you know, he talks about you can't just sit back and hope your purpose emerges. 
Like, you know, people go, well, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm not really sure. You know, sitting back and hopefully, like a religious conversion, it just comes upon you. What he talks about is you have to hone your craft. Just keep doing the stuff that you enjoy doing, challenging, making it better, and your purpose emerges from that. So you hone your craft and your purpose emerges. And that's much more useful because you have so many people sitting back waiting. Well, I never knew what my purpose was or I never, but it doesn't come upon you sitting on the couch. You've got to keep going, iterations. And that's the whole growth mindset. Fail, fail early, learn from it, move on. And, you know, it is, in in psychology, there's a big labeling thing, isn't it? That's fixed mindset, that's growth. We're all both. But there's certain environments, certain people. And to your point earlier, William, we've got to get those leaders who instill that growth mindset in other people so they can feel vulnerable, uh, feel comfortable taking, you know, risks and challenges. Not everything has to work out perfect. They don't just have to do stuff that they know what to do. And your purpose, and this is Viktor Frankl as well uh, from Man's Search for Meaning. He says, we don't necessarily create our purpose, but we detect it. And that's how we detect it, by doing things that make us feel good. And you were giving me examples of how you do that. You got back to being creative. You got back to being detecting what you needed, you know, getting involved. And it helps you hone your craft. But your purpose is emerging from that craft development Mm. rather than sitting back and hopefully, like, you know, religious conversion, you get one. And I think there is a certain amount. We're talking about leading with uncertainty here, right, and how emotional intelligence helps that. And again, in terms of that is, is when you're doing that self-reflecting piece, there's a certain amount of personal responsibility that you have to do that for yourself. Nobody can do that for you. So yeah. Yeah. again, that's the beauty about coaching. Coaching or journaling provides you that space or that mirror to really reflect and say, listen, what's going on now? And for me then, you know, behind every complaint is a hidden desire. Yeah. So the negative stuff, if I reframe that and that tells me what I'm, I'm, I'm lacking and that's what I can get more of. So for example, if I kept being frustrated doing the same thing over and over again, or if, if, if I wasn't feeling valued, well then I'll just search where I am going to be valued. So again, the solution is in the problem and the challenge. We just need to reframe it in a way that, um, I suppose is useful for us so we can move closer and get more understanding of where we're at. Yeah. So the solution is actually in the challenge. It's in the struggle. Yeah. And I think, I think it, I, I, that struggle piece I think is important. It's a bit like um, I, I did a coaching course before and this lady, and I know you're going to read a poem later on this lady, uh, Rita Herson at the very end of the coaching program talked about the butterfly and it was a, it was a poem about yeah. a butterfly and in terms of coaches is that if if a butterfly is in the cocoon and if the butterfly you know doesn't you know if we help the, the butterfly try to get out of the cocoon yeah. right we haven't developed that strength to flourish to be ourselves and sometimes there's a beauty in that struggle isn't there mm. to to really become the best version of ourselves because then you really know you want something, you know you've worked for it. So there's something about that struggle that we need to get more comfortable with. And often when I do leadership development programs, I talk about being comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's the whole thing about leading with uncertainty, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, big time. Well, you've nailed so much there. And it's back to uh, being comfortable, not having all the answers, but giving something a crack. You know, because we're built in the fixed mindset, you'd never do that. You'd only do what you know you can do. And if you think of uh, Tic Tac Yan, the Zen Buddhist monk, has that uh, lovely mantra I love, or the slogan, no mud, no lotus. 
Uh, the lotus is enlightenment where everybody feels better, but you can't get there without going through the mud. And you've just been describing that, the challenge. And Carol Dweck, the Stanford psychologist who did all the research in the growth mindset, she did a similar one. You know, you know when you come back in the evening and you say to your kids, did you have a great day? Aren't you wonderful? You know, feeding narcissism, making them, it's all about you, blah, blah, blah. But she had a nice twist in that. She goes, you know what? When you go home in the evening, what a good one to do with your family is, go, who had a good challenge today? You know, who gave something a crack and you made a mess of it? And it's okay, you're actually sharing things that actually didn't work out. And that's actually more helpful. You know, and parents can do it, but all jump in, but it's getting you to stretch. It's getting you to stretch your world, not just stick to what you know. You know, and, and it's a great skill. It's like you're saying, we'd love our kids never have to have a challenge or go through the mud, but it's not how it works, you know? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. I was only in the playground yesterday with my son and my son had this kind of mindset um, and belief that I'm afraid of heights, okay? Okay. And then I started saying, you know, and I don't know, listen, I did bribe him, right? But we were going <laughs> to the top of the, this rope ladder and ever since he was small, he would never go to the very top. Okay. So every time we did one of these rope ladders, he'd always stop. And I turned around and I says, listen, I'm going to be here every step of the way. Yeah. And I, you know, I was giving the motivation to yeah, yeah. remind him of the bribe. And he was going, I want this. I want yeah, this. So yeah, there's a reward yeah, yeah. there. And then he got up there and he did it and he felt so proud. And then on the way, when we're walking back home, I said, you know what? I says, this is how we learn, isn't it? This is, I want yeah. you to remember how good you felt after being uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I says, if you can learn how to do that, you're going to be really happy in life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he says, yeah, I really learned from that, dad, you know? And he's seven, right? Wow. So for me, like, if he's starting to get this growth mindset, it's all about what I'm trying to reinforce is that learning. You just yeah. haven't yeah. learned how to deal with yeah. heights yet. That's it. And I used That's to be it. like that because I used to do stage lights in theater. Okay. Yeah. I used to be afraid of heights. And then I was a complete risk taker with heights because I just learned how to handle <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think that's the whole thing with with uncertainty is we just need to learn how to live with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and as step leaders, into it. it's it's like that's what I'm trying to, I suppose, impart with my son. It's just that learning mindset to say we. And I was saying to to him, I said, listen, we just need to learn how we're thinking about it, learn yeah. to breathe when we're in that situation yeah. and learn what our thoughts are and learn what our unhelpful thoughts. Yeah. And he was going to go, yeah, thanks, Dad. Now can I have my hot chocolate? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it's part of it. And even if he hadn't done it, you know, it's the power, and you used the word there, yet. I mean, even, even if he didn't achieve it, you haven't done it yet. So that's the yeah. growth mindset. It's all about you know, noticing progress. Keep going, pull, keep pushing. And that failure isn't a horrible thing. Yeah. That not getting to the top isn't a disaster. You gave it a go. Who gave it a bloody good go? I mean, Tommy Tiernan, the philosopher comedian, but I picked up, there are a lot of comedians that are like psychologists are philosophers, but he was talking about this, you know, the, the way we talk to our kids, because comedians notice language. And we often say to them, look, no pressure, just go out and do your best. He goes, yeah. how much pressure could you put on me actually yeah. no pressure just be at your optimum yeah and i was thinking god i did that myself we don't even think of our language so we're saying to our kids i never put my kids under pressure i just tell them to do their best you couldn't yeah. put them under any more pressure if you tried and yeah. he was saying he when his dad would say to him go down now tommy and do your best don't care how you get on as long as you do your best 
And he go, here, I tell you what, I'll go down and I'll come back. He goes, that's the best you're getting out of me. But, you know, we should be, okay, well, if that's true, then a growth mindset version, that's the fixed mindset, do your best. Anything less than your best. So what happens is if you give me a fixed mindset, I have to do my best. I'll I'll either make sure that whatever I I tackle, I can do, because I have to be at my best. Or if I can't, I'll pretend I never really tried. So, you know, you're stuck then. You're already going to stick to what you know. I'm not going to give something a go because I have to be at my best. So the growth mindset would be go ahead and have a crack. Let's let's turn this into language you could use. So we've been saying to our kids, we're not saying to them, or even adults, go ahead and do your best. Go, go ahead and give it a go. Give it a go. That's more likely to infuse positive emotion and allow people to be in the most intelligent awareness state where they can go in and actually give it a crack. Because, you know, you will limit, you can actually change people's performance based on how we're speaking to them, you know. They talk about words. Sigmund Freud said words were originally magic. Well, they still are. you got to be really careful with the way we're using our language uh, in a helpful way. Um, Careful is probably the wrong word, but we can be turning it in a way that gives people hope, like you did with your little boy. Now, he got to the top, but even if he didn't get to the top, there was still a lot of growth mindset and learning in there. He would have come back for his hot chocolate the following week. Probably yeah, the next well, day. I have to remind you, I worked five years on this. So <laughs> it was, <laughs> okay. it was constant, learning, constant learning conversations, you know. Yeah. But that re- reminds me, it, it is that flexible and learning mindset. And it reminds me of two things. One is, is that, Alan, if I asked you not to be stressed, yeah, right? Yeah. What's the f- yeah. what thing you're going to yeah. focus on is stress? And then there's a this amygdala a hijack, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So I think it's really important that, that you said is the words that we use, you know, yeah. I don't want you to worry, but, and that yeah. but then deletes yeah. everything, but yeah. you're still focused yeah. on the worry piece, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah. especially when we're having conversations and you're leading with, with uncertainty, your That's language right. is, is crucial. And I think this, what you talked about there in terms of failure, failure is really about, have you a culture of, that it's okay to yeah. make a mistake yeah. as long as you're learning from it. And yeah. which reminds me of is, uh, you know, that lubricant WD-40. Oh yeah. Well, the reason why it's called WD-40 is the previous 39 versions didn't work. You know, oh, I love it. And it's a bit like Edison, you know, yeah. Edison just found yeah. out a thousand different ways for a light bulb yeah. Yeah. that didn't but work. That's all growth mindset right there. All growth mindset, yeah. you know, and this is nothing new. It's just we found a way to uh, express it um, and interpret it, you know. And I think, you know, as leading with uncertainty then is that we have to, it's, it's, it's winning at all costs. You yeah, know, there's yeah. no such thing as failure. I remember, you know, and you, you came out with this, what uh, Tommy Tiernan was saying, but basically I remember a manager early in my career says, listen, you can do whatever you want. Just give me a huge amount of scope, but whatever you do, don't mess up. Yeah. yeah no, I didn't yeah. use the mess word. You use it. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Word. Yeah, I and I went, to remember. Yeah. And I went to myself, that has actually completely limited me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was, I was just then in that risk factor, you know, place of, Oh, it's 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 down to a focus more on um, risk limitation, <laughs> you know, and damage limitation yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than oh thinking of you know blue sky opportunities. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. it's a bit like this, right? If you're asking people to be creative, especially in times now, we have to be creative and innovative. And this is where your psychometric tool will come into place. Is is if I was to say, for example, um, Tommy Tiernan, uh, listen. Um, no pressure now, but tell me a joke. Yeah, chief, you're not going to be, you know, and yeah. this, you're not going to be very creative. So if you go into yeah. a meeting and you start saying, "Listen, I want your test be- ten best ideas now," 
mm. you know, and we're going mm. to lead ourselves mm. with certainty mm. out of this situation. Mm. Mm. We're not really creating an innovative yeah. environment, do we? Yeah. Look, we have so much in that. And even the way you were spoken to by your boss who said, don't make a mess of it, instilling a fixed mindset. You're amygdala, you feel emotional. That, and we all know what it feels like when you think somebody's doubting you, you start doubting yourself. Even in that environment, we can actually feel it. I mean, I can work well, or should I say, okay, if somebody puts a fear of God into me, control and command makes me fearful. I can still get stuff done. It just happens to not be very good stuff. It's done out of fear. It's when my brain isn't working very well. Or I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling low emotional well-being and intelligence. And what's interesting, when language is so important, we've got to talk about the language of hope. You got to talk about what could be. You got to talk about, like Napoleon Bonaparte said, being a leader is about being a dealer in hope. It's easy to talk about the problems, but leadership is about stepping into the discomfort, being comfortable with the uncertainty. And that's what a leader does, even if you're not very clear. And it's just, you know, have a bet, have a strategic bet on something. It doesn't even have to work, but be very definitive about what it is that good looks like and where we're going to go. You know, and it, being a pessimist, and I think this was the Tavrazi, the Israeli. Uh, psychologist said being a pessimist and pointing out why something can't work he said in the end of the day it just means you suffer twice you know so being hopeful and that's fuel hope is fuel and it's a whole psychological capital of hope and that's how we speak to ourselves so he could have and hope is how you instill a growth mindset or not or the fixed mindset just like you said with that leader I remember working with a team I used a lot of sports psychology and I remember the team dropped the division a rugby team and you could see the the manager was very uh the coach was uh upset and irritated by his players which made them play even worse and i was uh, so he got me up and he asked me to look at the communications within the team but I actually noticed it wasn't the team communication at all it was his and even his body language he was allowing them to see that he was disappointed in them and that you know didn't help them so i said to him look i gave him my observations i said look when you're going out and you're playing your next game uh, I said, just say something hopeful, something positive. Leave them with a message that you believe in them and that, you know, things can get better. And as he was leaving the door, he kind of, because he knew I was there, he kind of clocked me. And he goes, oh, Jesus, this is this the bit where I have to say something? And if they're playing at this level, they can't be very effing good. <laughs> so if you think about that, he was trying to instill them with a growth mindset, but even, even at the very end, it clipped into a fixed mindset. So and, and what would you say to someone then that they say, listen, as a leader, oh, that leader is over-optimistic. If you have the pessimists or the, yeah. re, the people, the realists in, in place, what do you think they would say? Well, you know what? Every pessimist will say, I'm not a pessimist, I'm realistic. And realistically, a solution might exist, but a pessimist isn't going to find it because they don't bother trying because they don't think there's any reason. Optimistic people are always, optimism in the way we're using it, smart optimism or the way it's used within emotional intelligence. It's not just Pollyanna and sit back and I hope everything's okay and let's be hopeful. It's interesting co-constructing a way out of problems and stepping into uncomfortable situations. You know, so if you think of when we had a crash in Ireland, 2007, 2008, Bad leadership, all the lads, cow and everybody were overwhelmed by the problem. They're going, how big is it? Who caused it? This is terrifying. Whereby Obama came over, American president, outside of Gates of Trinity, he said, Irish people, your best days are ahead of you. Sign of hope of what could be. You know, so the language, and so it wasn't, you know, you're still going after the same problem. You're just more interested in what we're going to do about it and how to handle our emotions during it. Because if you're fixing a car, you'd... Uh, our machine, everything we're discussing here, William, is irrelevant. 
You don't have to worry. It doesn't have feelings. It doesn't have emotions. In fact, you'd be stupid to take the approach we're uh, talking about today. You get under the ballast, you check the engine, you check the battery, whatever it is. Difference is there's emotions with people and we have to learn how to manage them. And that's why it's different. So, you know, using optimism, it's not just being Pollyanna, it's but it is the exact, it's quite problem-centric in a way, but we're just interested in what we want to do about the problem rather than becoming paralyzed by it. And William, you said something important earlier as well about learning learning, and the growth mindset and with the journey you've been on with your son, et cetera. Well, that's important to point out with emotional intelligence in general. Yes, there are certain people who might be naturally good at this stuff. You know, we always had the word like over the years, oh, that person's charismatic or they got a certain way with people. They're just good at influencing. They bring people with them. They're great listeners, whatever it was. But that's all emotional intelligence. We've always known people who had heightened emotional intelligence. The only, in many ways, it's an old wine with a new label. The only difference in what we're talking about now, William, is we're actually saying, you know what? It's a set of developmental skills that anybody can get better at. So we're not seeing it as, oh, just the kind of, you know, the X factor. Yes, somebody might have it, but all of us can develop within the space of emotional intelligence. And that's why it's interesting. That's why it's exciting, because anybody can get better at this space, developmental process. That's why we're looking at it. Yeah. And for me, for example, a couple of years ago, I, I, and I was explaining to you that I wanted to create that development skill to be more creative. So that's where yeah. I introduced Lego yeah. and the drawing with the visual facilitation. And you were admiring my my uh, my handwriting on posters and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, it's great. And, and for me then, you know, it is that place of, uh, let's return to the very start of the podcast here, was that there is that social pressure now to behave yeah. in a low yeah, EQ way time. with a low emotional intelligence. And what would you advise to people who might listen to this podcast and say, oh, maybe I'm I'm being um, pressured um, and I have that social pressure going on to be that low EQ. Or yeah. maybe if I witness my boss or my yeah. manager in that, what, yeah. what would you say to people? Okay. Well, look, it's not about berating yourself. It's not about listening. Go, I don't do that. It's that we all... If you will, we speak to ourselves in our heads the way we'd never speak to anybody else. Mm. This is developed by being compassionate. And everybody's talking yeah. about 2021 being the year of compassion. The year of self-compassion. Even though it sounds selfish, it's not. It's probably the most self-sufficient, important thing to do. Be compassionate with your own thoughts and how you're feeling. And it's not trying to, even if you're working with a boss who hasn't, obviously we mirror each other. If you're working with a boss who has low EI, it, 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 without awareness you're likely to mirror that behavior yourself that's why you know the way you get somebody people say i don't leave a company because of uh the company is generally because of the person they report into and it's normally the first manager they've ever had they have the biggest influence on whether they stay or go what's interesting though is most people then when they become leaders themselves 10 years later or whatever they keep up a lot of the traits that they didn't enjoy themselves from that manager, even though it wasn't something they wanted to do. So where is, but that's the lack of the awareness bit. So I would say to develop in this area, William, it's all around compassion and self-compassion, being gentle on yourself, not getting, actually doing less, but sitting and allowing your thoughts to come and go, but not re- reacting to each of them. Do you know, because your thoughts aren't you there. Your thoughts are your biggest distractor. In decision-making, when we look at emotional intelligence, your thoughts distract you every time we're talking about here today if you think about it if you can manage them and get over them quicker you can get back to what's most important but generally don't get caught up in the thoughts and we read into them we read into them and because of this very way of working as well people are getting more paranoid they're feeling more stressed they're feeling more overwhelmed 
So my biggest call out then to answer that question would be self-compassion and actually get start to manage your emotions. So not that you can get rid of your thoughts, you can't do that, but your thoughts can blind you and they can blind you to what you should be doing. And you know, yeah. your own, and what is your purpose then? So if we listen to what we've talked about, well, what are my values? Journaling, noticing when you are living your values. Be more mindful and sitting and not allowing your thoughts to overwhelm you. Acknowledge them, but don't actually run to them. That would be a great place to start. And then the growth mindset and the part of not yet. Because what I often get frightened of, not frightened of, but when people, especially when the new year comes in and you're coaching, it's easy to be a coach this time of year. When people come in, they go, that's it. Uh, I say, what are you going to do? And they go, I'm off the red wine. I'm doing plastic yoga. I'm just doing a plant-based diet. I'm not, you know, all of these things. And within three or four days, you know, if the thing, you know, falls in itself and you become worse than everywhere, you're much better off just take one little thing. Be compassionate with yourself. And, you know, I know mindfulness now is a big buzz thing, but a little bit of meditation every day will help you be sitting, not let your thoughts blind you. And then after a meditation, if you went in and did your journaling or what is, you know, working on honing your craft so your purpose emerges, what does that look like? Even asking yourself a, a positive psychology question around emotion tells us would be, if 21 went okay, how would you notice? How would other people notice? What would you be doing differently? And what would they see you doing? And actually being able to actually scribe an answer to that, it'd be very powerful. And I'm really interested in, in that powerful piece as well as, have you had powerful, I'm sure you have, and I definitely know you have, because I have, in terms of using that psychometric, what were the biggest surprises people would have had in terms of those powerful questions when people look at their psychometric report, that emotional well, intelligence report? you know, to some people, our conversation today or to now would be like, yeah, yeah. To other people, what the hell are they talking about? And I think a lot of that's banded around with emotional intelligence as well. Because when you coach people, um, they say to them, what would you like from a time together? A lot of times people would say, oh, it's a real buzzword at the moment. Oh, we need emotional intelligence. And they go, okay, that's great. And um, what would be different for you when you have this emotional intelligence? Like this thing you've come here to develop, what difference would it make to your life? A lot of times that's when people stop and they go, look, to be honest with you, I don't even know what it is. I've just been told I need it. It's kind of banded around there, the emotional intelligence. So for the first thing, doing a scientific validation of the assessment of it, you get a shared understanding of what it is we're talking about and where you are on it. Now, often people are amazed by the accuracy, but I'm never too amazed by the accuracy because it's their answers, okay? So it, it should be, you know, so they're the experts and the people are the experts in themselves. And by using a tool like this, it links it to what you're doing well, but maybe where are some blind spots, but then how can you lead more emotion intelligence? It actually gives you some strategies and action. And you'll actually, you know, it's all developmental. So in a way, even by the time you do a feedback session, it's all data because it's starting to develop. But that's the real power. It's a coachable developmental tool. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing an IQ test or a personality test, but all you're doing is creating awareness. You know, you're not changing your personality. You're just being aware of it, which is helpful. But everything we do in the EQ, and it's all linked to stronger leadership, it's all developmental. So anybody can get better in any of these areas. But I would say people starting off doing the assessment, don't do too much, like I described at the beginning, after red wine, doing the yoga class. Do a little bit, because that little bit will actually, if you embed it, will make a big difference. So do less, be self-compassionate, but do get the thoughts whereby you're able to sit 
and not, you know, the less you start focusing on other people, the less we struggle trying to be someone else, the more enthusiastic we can be about being ourselves. And that's what this is about. It's about being ourselves more and being enthusiastic. But people are very enthusiastic about the company's purpose or what everybody else wants them to do. And we sleep through the West. And it's as if, oh, well, one day I'll get around to that. But the only thing you get around to one day is you die. Do you know what I mean? It's just around the corner. We all, we all act as if we're going to be here for ages. We're nearly gone. You know, but this is nearly it. And, you know, and then when we're about to die, this was a palliative care nurse in Australia. She did some great research. She asked people in their younger years who are about to leave, what are your biggest regrets in life? And the number one biggest regret that came back was, if I could live my life again, I wouldn't care what other people thought so much. I.e., I'd be more enthusiastic about being myself more. You know, rather than constantly obsessing with thoughts about things and and we all think that other people are talking about it, but actually nobody's thinking about it. Maybe that's a scarier thing to think about. And that's why people get paranoid. You know, they talk about that in this, uh, the First World War. They were noticing that frontline soldiers often got paranoid and they kept thinking everybody was thinking about them and talking about them. And they were thinking it was actually, it was either that or the reality of the opposite, which is probably more likely to be true that nobody was thinking about them at all. But that was so scary to deal with. They went for the paranoid option as well. But this is about becoming more aware of what you become more enthusiastic and interested in yourself, forget about other people. And it's not a selfish thing to do. It's a very compassionate thing to do. And people will mirror that energy. And that you're you're more confident in yourself and you'll step in, you'll say things that are based on your values, but you're actually doing it in a way that brings people with you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're just being yourself more. It's not, it's not a and you can be inspirational to other people. Yeah. And so we're coming near to the end of the podcast now. So I'm going to invite you now to um, give some key takeaways. And I know also you have a poem and maybe a, yeah. a giveaway as well. Well, I will say, for the, I mean, the interpersonal, everybody's feeling very lonely now, as we know. And there was actually research at the weekend from uh, Belfast, Queen's University, where I think it was one of four have reported feeling lonely during COVID. I would say probably four to four, but one out of four at a mental health level. And the, the other starting research that they've come up with was that sense of loneliness is actually equivalent to having 15 cigarettes a day. That's how damaging it is to your health. Now, that was a big study they just released. And also around the stress management, we need to, it's a year of compassion. We need to, you know, not too tight, not too loose, just be gentle. Because I mean, the situation of COVID is hopeless, but in many ways, it's not serious. It's the way we speak to it. So we need to lighten up. You can take things so seriously that you miss things. So, I mean, by actually being mindful, by not allowing your thoughts to blind you, you can actually, you know, lighten up a bit, which is actually a growth mindset bit. You know, and actually happiness, general mood and well-being used to be included in the EQ assessment. But they, they, there's a big debate in psychology, nature, nurture. You can't just say because somebody's emotionally intelligent that they're happy. But there is a positive correlation. Now, you'll see that they actually build in a well-being mood in the assessment anyway, but it doesn't contribute to the overall score because people like to know about it. Because you could be very emotionally intelligent, but in a situation which has you unhappy, like in the middle of Syria or something right now, but it's generally a positive correlation. But that stress management and the happiness bit is so important to be compassionate. It's the year of self-compassion. And really, I think to become comfortable with uncertainty and to rest assured within impermanence, uh, that's that's a that's a good definition of emotional intelligence of 21, that impermanence bit. 
You know, nothing stays the same. We're even different. William, you and I are different right now from when we first started to have a chat. But what, what is interesting as well, uh, uh, I, know, I know we're on the wrap-up, but most people now have seen a huge shift. And a lot of people on podcasts and other this kind of people in our space going, oh, it's Nirvana, the workplace, it's changed. We've all got the power. We're completely empowered and nothing's ever going to go back to the same. Now, I, I like the idea. I love a revolution, but it's not true. We probably just caught the companies on the hop and they have to catch up. There's even technology, like if you go out the glass door, they're recruiting people left, right and centre to develop kind of apps and data so we can monitor people at home. There's even problems with some of the Microsoft stuff. I mean, even you know, it gets to the stage whereby you come back from the bathroom and your computer will say, you took two minutes to go to the toilet there. Uh, a Google high-performance employee averages 1.5. Is everything okay? You know, so it's all this snoop technology. We're just in a space where people haven't caught up in this. So I don't think, I mean, we grab certain bits of it, but I think people are going to feel very much controlled and looked at. So being emotionally intelligent around all this space is so important and coming up with norms and new ways of working from home and a new kind of communication contract. So that's a, that was a, a, a weighty way to finish it, but being comfortable with uncertainty and rest assured with impermanence is a good definition of emotional intelligence. Now, I want to read you a little poem. Now, most people might switch off when they hear this. It's a, it's a pity little poem by a guy called William Carlos Williams. He was a physician in the 20s. And he used to kind of, on the back of um, prescriptions, he'd jot down in between his uh, patients, he'd jot down little uh, uh, poems. And this one apparently was written when uh, a young girl he had been seeing had passed away. And he was obviously in a bad place. And he went over and he was looking at the window of his GP practice. And he wrote this called The Red Wheelbarrow. So this is The Red Wheelbarrow by William Carlos William. The Red Wheelbarrow. So much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. And if you get the sense from the uh, impermanence of everything, the sense of amazing impermanence from that poem is strangely reassuring. COVID is impermanent. We all are. We're all here just for a little journey and waking up. It really is about waking up and being more aware. As kids, we're naturally awake. What I'd like to do is offer as well, William, uh, a carrot or emotional intelligence assessment for one of your listeners. Um, how how would you like to, how will we uh, have a competition around that, William? What's the best way? So I think the best way is for you to come up with a question and then then to email you directly. How about that? Come up with a question, email us directly. Okay, very good. So Okay. How, what would the question be? The question will be, um, what is, you got to look for bright spots, Okay. What has been your biggest bright spot of COVID-19? So what has it changed, but changed in a useful way? What has been useful about it? I know all the issues with it. We know all the problems and it's not over yet. But what has been a potentially a bright spot? Like those people who went back into the meditation, the open sea swimming, the cycling. What is your one? That doesn't have to be, uh, it could be anything. It could be that you notice something more, uh, that you've heard something or you've learned something about your kids or something about yourself within us. So if you just jot down one bright spot that you've had, and we will do the winner from that. And the winner will get an EQ assessment and a complimentary feedback session with one of our chartered psychologists. And the feedback session is where you'll have the real 
uh, the real fun. That's where the magic happens because it's not just the data, but it's the conversation around the data. That's brilliant. Thank you for being so uh, generous and, and thank you very much for coming onto the podcast today. If people were to contact you then, Alan, how might they do so? Well, kinchlines.com or info at kinchlines.com. You'd be able to get us. Now, I'm hoping as well, William, that you, you may be a little bit nervous at the beginning when you said your podcast is in that chart. So I'll be looking for it after you uh, you launched this one. I assume uh, it, it might go further down the charts. We'd be looking for a spike. <laughs> oh, we'll definitely get a spike. Uh, we'll definitely get a spike. Great, great. So, Alan, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for coming on to the Workplace Podcast. William, great to be here. Keep up the good work. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at Different Paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood, your external learning and development partner. Provide your executive coaching, facilitation, and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team, and organization.